the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, We've got a big old bag of mail with a very special Tales from Tallahassee. Like, it's not even a Knowles to go because we're not even putting in the order. This has been requested from the masses. Uh, Everybody wants to hear about... 1995 Florida State practices, but we'll get into that. And and first, a a little bit of a a request, because we really try to, you know, be ourselves and be open with you, the listeners, and, and we just need to ask that even if you listen, no matter what platform you listen to us, just go follow us on Spotify, all right? Because we've got some numbers that we're trying to hit by the end of February. And if you really love us and you want to get help us out a little bit, again, just, just go follow us. Like, please, pretty please, not afraid to beg. I'm not above it. We are just trying to be transparent with you. Uh, so just go ahead. Even if you don't listen to us on Spotify, go follow us on Spotify. And, uh, of course, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, we've been really trying to to reach our audience there. And um, yeah, we'd, we'd appreciate a little bit of help meeting our February goals. There you go, Danny. Danny's going did. in. I, That's it. That's it. We, we were about it through and through. Um, okay. Let, one. There we go. One also, more. If, if you listen to us on like Apple Podcasts, unsubscribe and then resubscribe and then five stars. Yeah, that helps. Boom. Tricks of the trade. <laughs> of course, all of our questions, we'll be getting to them in a little bit. They they do come from five-star reviews. Uh, include your question within the review. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. A couple of headlines here. Former Oregon quarterback Tyler Shuck, he has announced he will be transferring to Texas Tech. Uh, the We also have uh, Luke McCaffrey. He left Nebraska. He will be transferring to Louisville. Uh, either Danny between those two, which one of those stands out? I think that you could attack like Oregon, a team that seems like pretty well set from a personnel perspective, except for the quarterback position. I guess they're going to have to go youth there or Texas tech. Do you feel like you're getting a good quarterback? Nebraska, of course, losing Luke McCaffrey. Now he goes to join Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Uh, which of those two moves stands out to you and, uh, and causes you to take some notes as we continue to look ahead to spring practice and putting our scouting reports together for 2021. I mean, this is, by the way, this is the era of free agency. I don't know why we call it transferring. I don't know why it's a transfer portal. Let's just call it what it is. Let's blow out specials and call it college football free agency. Let's have a deadline. Let's just do it all because (laughs) that's what it is. Um, So like get used to it. Um, 
the one like clearly these are bigger names. One played a lot more football in Tyler Shuck was the starter coming into the season. Um, dealt with some injuries, dealt with a little bit of inconsistent play. I would lean towards him as a more intriguing move because I feel like I know what he gave you. I liked him. I'm a little, I, this was a surprising one to me. Um, but a lot of it has to do with situations where you are. Quarterbacks don't want to wait around and, um, the Boston College transfer, uh, Anthony, Anthony Brown. Brown, he's coming back, right? So he's coming back. He was kind of trending on the up. Tyler Shuck was trending on, you know, downward. So he decides, hey, I'm going to get a change of scenery. I think this is interesting for Matt Wells at Texas Tech because this is a program which really has struggled post Mike Leach of getting back to relevance and even upper third, maybe upper, you know, upper half of the Big Twelve. So. Matt Wells needs him. Tyler Shuck would love to kind of, you know, have a, a career with probably propels him to the NFL. He's a big, strong kid. Like he's got, he, my, I remember vividly saying, this is a, another version of Justin Herbert coming in, you know, just going to take over, not much drop off. Clearly, you know, same size, different result, uh, which is really a dumb thing to assume because Justin Herbert was awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm more fascinated by this one. The Luke McCaffrey move to me, I don't know how that's going to work out. Luke McCaffrey didn't play as much football. So I think it's a better program, probably in better shape, but also another coach in Scott Satterfield who has to do some, you know, trust tree type of exercises, building up the trust with the fans and the players more importantly, because of what transpired with the South Carolina interview. But I feel like I know the floor better with uh, Tyler Shuck, which is pretty good. Like, you know, you're going to get a pretty good, capable quarterback who can win some games for you. But Luke McCaffrey, I just don't feel like I've seen enough from him yet. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Just looking at these two players, I, I think Tyler Shuck is a much safer and probably more likely to be successful at Texas Tech than I would put into Luke McCaffrey. Because I think, you know, Shuck, if you look at his numbers last year at Oregon, like they weren't great, but they weren't awful. We're talking about a kid who completed 64% of his passes. He averaged 9.3 yards per attempt. He had 13 touchdowns and six interceptions. With Luke McCaffrey, like the sample size is small. So it's you can't really take away definitive, you know, opinions on him. But in seven games last year, this is a guy who he only threw 76 passes. He's probably more of a runner than a passer. And if you just look, like he averaged 6.1 yards per attempt. And more than anything, he had one touchdown to six interceptions. Like, yeah, Nebraska had problems on offense last year. Nebraska's had problems the last few years. But one touchdown and six interceptions, I don't think you could just put that on the offense. I think that you're part of the problem if you've been having the offense. And I look at Louisville this offseason alone. McCaffrey is the second transfer quarterback they've landed. I don't know if you guys remember, but Georgia Southern quarterback Shy Wirtz also transferred oh. to Louisville last month. And Wirtz, the plan is with Wirtz, he's probably going to be seeing, I, I read, I saw on Twitter yesterday, the plan Satterfield said with Wirtz is he's going to see a lot of time at receiver in their offense. He might be kind of trying to fill that 2-2 Atwell role, mm -hmm. and maybe that's why Louisville was there. Maybe that's why he chose to transfer. Maybe he want, he thought his best path to the NFL was, all right, I got to show him what I can do besides quarterback. But honestly, of those two QBs, the one I would have more confidence in if I was a Louisville fan as my QB next year, based on what I've seen, I'd be more confident in Wirtz as my QB than I would McCaffrey at this point. How many quarterbacks do we feel confident on that between those two can push it 25 yards down the field? 
I mean, I'm sure they can, but you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I, I kind of felt with like with consistency, like with, with, shuck. yeah, shuck. Oh, no, no. I was talking about, uh, Luke McCaffrey yeah, and shuck Shai is clearly the more gifted. Like, are, those, are we, yeah, yeah. are we about to run some putt putt offense for the cards right now? Well, is Malik Cunningham's still there, right? He is. Oh my goodness. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I, I think Malik Cunningham is still there. So I don't think Luke well, McCaffrey is yeah, eligible. Yeah, I don't think he's walking in to be like the starter. I think he's going to try to compete for the job. But it's just, I don't know. I, I we're going to need. I, I think we'll have a much better idea of Louisville's QB picture after spring practice. Are we under the assumption because when I go to twenty four seven Sports and I look at eligibility, some say immediate, some say you know not immediate, meaning hey, you're going to have to sit out the year. Do you think this? There's a bill proposed just yesterday that's about name, image, and likeness. It does have some transfer rules. Are we operating under the assumption that everyone's going to be clear for the one free transfer by this season? So, do you have any information? Well, yeah, we. I think that the coaches believe that the one-time transfer rule might get passed like in April because right. uh, Nick Saban, uh, according to Henry Toto's father. Nick Saban has been telling him, hold on on making your commitment until we know that the one-time transfer rule is through because we expect you to just be like a one-and-done type player and then you're off to the NFL. You would like to know that you're going to be able to play in 2021 and not have to sit out. Conspiracy theory time? Yeah, heck yeah. Oh, no, I've got one note on Oregon before we go total conspiracy theory. Ty Thompson. When I see Tyler Shuck leaving... That leads me to believe that the five-star quarterback who was an early enrollee in January um, ranked as the number four – oh, he was a four-star prospect in the 24-7 sports composite, ranked as the number four pro-style quarterback in the class, 6'4", 215 pounds, and he's been a little bit of a late bloomer on the recruiting scene. Like when he was scouted in 2018, they were like, yeah, this guy's probably like a a day three kind of draft pick. And he's seen his stock uh, slowly rise. So if Ty Thompson, who again has been on campus with the Ducks since January, with Tyler Shuck leaving, I think it makes it more likely that we see the highly touted true freshman as as an option at starter for the Ducks. Okay, conspiracy theory time. All right, it's not really a conspiracy, but like we're talking about, we expect the transfer rule to be passed in April. Well, we expected the transfer rule to be passed before last season. Too. Yeah, they tabled it. We talk about the NIL stuff. We've been expecting the NIL stuff for since the beginning before last season. I think the NCAA is just going to keep kicking the can down the road on these things because that way the general feeling is, well, it's going to happen. So we don't have to bitch and moan and complain about it and write a million columns about it every single year because they're going to do it. It's on there. We, every All our sources we talk to, oh, yeah, we're definitely considering it. So they just the NCAA just has to keep saying, oh, yeah, it's it's on the table. We're going to get to it soon. And then they just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And that way people think they're going to do it, but they don't ever actually actually have to do it. And everybody just kind of focuses on other things. Bam, that's what's going on. But there's a big but. Um, and you cannot lie. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Congress 
is going to get involved here. So the NCA is going to have their hand forced and not only Congress uh, from a federal standpoint, but there are especially state legislatures, which are having laws that are scheduled to go into effect as soon as July 1st of this year. So I, I agree with you. The NCA has been kicking the can down the road, down the road, down the road, but at some point they're going to have to make a decision. And I think the decision is going to be made for them, which maybe that's what they is want. What maybe they want. Yeah. They don't want to have to enforce rules. They're just going to let it go. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I, we've talked a lot about this and we can do a whole sidetrack on it, but I think it's a pretty good compromise. And some of the things that are in this latest bill, um, I think make a lot of sense. And I, it's bipartisan, which is kind of crazy. I'm sure there'll be something that the different sides of the aisle will find something to argue about, but something's going to get done. And I think it will be a federal um, you know, issue so that everyone's on the same page. And I think, and one of the things is one-year transfer. So if they get this bill passed, the NCAA, like it or not, is going to have to allow it. Speaking of name, image, and likeness, EA Sports, Notre Dame's not in the game. Listen, I'm telling you, Notre Dame is out here taking all the headlines and we're not paying enough attention to how Northwestern's also saying that they don't want to be in the game either because we got over a hundred schools have signed deals with CLC so that they can be in the new EA sports college football game in development. As we have discussed, uh, we will see when it comes out, uh, probably at least a season or two away, but that's just my guess here. We will be up to date on it. Uh, we do have some well-placed sources within that operation. So, uh, as always, Keep it here to the Cover 3 podcast for all of your EA Sports college football breaking news. I mean, we did an emergency podcast for it, so obviously. But Notre Dame comes out, says that they do not plan on being a part of the game. Do you think that by the time the game comes out, name, image, and likeness will be in a position that Notre Dame, Northwestern, and some of those other programs that have decided not to be a part of it, that they will be a part of that video game? Yeah. I mean, like we, we just met Danny was talking about the, the rules that are coming from a federal and statewide level. The game's probably not going to come out for two to three years. Odds are, my funny conspiracy theories aside, that if the NIL stuff is going to happen, it will have happened by then. So if you're Notre Dame or you're Northwestern, this is like a politician just saying something that really has no impact on anything, but looks good for when the reelection comes and you got to run the ads and they can say Notre Dame said that they weren't going to be in the game until their players were able to get something out of it. Notre Dame stands for its players. Small print that says like SB 28.4 roll call yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 That's all. This What's, Oh, it's such, it's, it's so obvious too, but I, what drives me nuts is people fall for it. Like, Hey, what a player progressive you know, university. Do you think they're more worried about, um, you know, having Jack Cone, his image available for the game or the um, four leaf clover on the side of having the gold golden domes and touchdown Jesus able to be on the game. I mean, that's what it's about. And what is really interesting with this in the NFL, when you have Madden or whatever NFL game you play, there are, yes, from the player's standpoint, there are, you know, there's a union, they bar a bargain for you, they negotiate what you're going to get, but they also bargain as 32 NFL franchises. 
I don't think that's going to be the case in, with the college football game. So Notre Dame might be holding out for a bigger portion of the proceeds because they view themselves as they probably should as one of the bigger brands in college football. So they're saying, well, we're not just joining in. Are you crazy? Tell us what you're giving us. And it's not about the players. It's about what is coming to Notre Dame. And I would do the same thing. And they're playing it out and it plays out great publicly. But this is all about the money going to Notre Dame, not to the players. Do you think that Jack Swarbrick, um, so this, this college football is going to change dramatically in the next five years. And while we love the way we approach it today, we recognize that change is coming. So to navigate that change, it was good to have that experience. That was Jack Swarbrick. According to, uh, Josh Pate, late kick, Josh, you can check it out on 24 seven sports and CBS sports HQ, Jack Swarbrick discussing the ACC experience in 2020. Do you put any value to a his uh, in the next five years statement in terms of college football is going to change dramatically or be the next step of it, which might indicate that independent status doesn't last forever. I don't know. I, I think that in the next five years comment is about the NIL stuff that's going to be changing and it's going to change the way that, teams and schools have to approach players and it's going to change the power the players have as far as the independent thing i just i don't ever see that changing see i see it as the power five absolutely has to i see that as like a hint at the power five breakaway proposal potentially maybe which i I don't like by the way i mean it's i think it's a general comment but i think it's a really obvious comment if you look at the 12-year contract for the college football playoff. We're at what we just finished six years, right? Mm-hmm. There's six more year, six more years left. You know, five years, they'll probably start to negotiate. That'll force some of the issue with power five breaking off and all the things that are coming. I mean, these I mean, everything I do think we will look dramatically different in five years, all of it across the board, whether it's power five break off, players making money off their name, image, and likeness, transferring, free agency. I think all of it's going to look dramatically different in five years. And, uh, and it was seven. I was, sorry. I had to count them on my fingers. Cause I'm a dummy like that. University of North Carolina didn't go to classes. You know how it goes. <laughs> um, coming up on the other side, speaking of those college days, let's go back to one of the nastiest collections of talent with some of the top tier, not even suiting up on Saturdays. It's time to go back to that practice field in Tallahassee with DK Next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! 
The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Okay, so if I am to follow the inception of this online chatter, it began with Brandon Marshall and Chad Ochocinco uh, in in that uh, sit down, Cam Newton was also there, and who else? There was uh, there were four, right? Four former uh, players. Yeah, Channing Crowder, I think, plays Channing. on the Dolphins. He's part of that podcast too. So they're they're sitting around uh, and and swapping stories about college football. And Brandon Marshall and Chad Ochocinco really start to go in on how much they loved and adored uh, Peter Warwick. And that has led to a lot of review of uh, Peter Warwick highlights and, you know, just sort of discussing where Warwick uh, stands among great wide receivers. You know, the the pro career he was a knee injury in Cincinnati, I think, um, had sort of kept there from being like an, another NFL side to what was absolutely all-American level national championship winning greatness when he was with the Seminoles. And his career with the program, Danny, started during your senior season yes uh peter work was a red shirt on that squad but you know what he's the he's not the go-to guy for my complaint when i voice my displeasure at the talent we had that would have won us not only a national championship would have won us and I say us because I'm a team player, a Heisman <laughs> Trophy <laughs> that would have gone to yours truly. <laughs> um, potentially could have been a higher draft pick. I was drafted in the fourth round. Easily would have bumped it up to the second round, maybe the first round. There were a lot of implications, but Peter Warwick is not even the go-to guy for me. Peter Warwick was on that squad. He was a younger, like there was, everybody came into Florida State with an attitude, right? You, you know, I'm going to the NFL I don't think Peter Work was one of those guys. He was solid, but it wasn't like it was obvious, hey, he was going to be Peter Work when he was older. I think he was still kind of figuring out the offense, figuring out college, which at the time was very normal. Most people did did not play as true freshmen. Um, you know, most, a lot of guys redshirted, especially at Florida State. It was kind of, and they did a good job with roster management of kind of tiering things so that you could get three years to be a starter. And that was the plan for Peter Warwick. So I never, you know, looking back on it, when you're watching him and uh, Chris Wenke tear up Virginia Tech and going back and forth and seeing him put these jukes on everybody and see the type of player he became, it's like, yeah, like that was, that was insanity to look. Look at that. But that wasn't the Peter Work that I saw. He would be the third best player that I would go to that say, I can't believe this guy redshirted when I was there. Number two on the list would be Walter Jones, who sure. was a junior college transfer, comes in. He's an offensive lineman. Again, quiet, unassuming guy, was good in practice, but our offensive line wasn't an issue. We had a pretty decent offensive line. You know, sacks where I wasn't getting too much pressure. So Walter Jones is in practice. I'm like, what's up, Walt? How you doing? You know, over there, just a red shirt. So I'm like, all right, but he was pretty good. Uh, but again, not one that I would have complained about a lot. Retrospectively, maybe one of the best offensive linemen of all time was sitting there on the bench every single game my senior year. The number one guy that I go to frequently is Randy Moss. So Randy Moss comes onto campus and he comes with a 
controversial checkered resume because he was supposed to go to Notre Dame as a phenomenon coming out of high school where he was from West Virginia was, you know, player of the year in basketball and football, you know, was going to go to play with Lou Holtz and was going to, you know, was going to be off to the races. Then goes to Notre Dame, gets in a fight, gets pretty bad there. I think there might even be video at the time, which was pretty crazy. Now everything's on video, but I think there was video at the time and Lou Holtz, you know, Notre Dame has the gold standard. Can't have anybody, can't have any character issues. So they kick him out. They say, Nope, your scholarship revoked. Can't come here. And a lot of people were concerned about Randy. Like there weren't a lot of teams lined up to take him because they were worried about character issues. So Lou Holtz calls Bobby Bowden and says, Hey, Got this guy. I don't think he's as bad as kid as being as made out that he is to be. Um, he did have an issue. I can't allow him here, but I think you'd be crazy to pass up on him. So Bobby Bowden looks into it and he's like, you know what? You're right. He said, we will take him. So he offers a scholarship to Randy Moss under the condition that he has to sit out a year. So Randy Moss comes on campus. Everybody's like, who is this guy? You know, like we hear about him. It's kind of like, ooh, Randy Moss, like who is this guy? And of course, when you go to Florida State, there's a ton of competition. You don't just show up on Florida State's campus, no matter who you are, and you're going to get humbled most of the time. Randy Moss did not get humbled. He came in there, and from the moment he stepped in to any drill, he was unstoppable. And we're ta- he's going in the summer, gets there, and we're playing against NFL guys. Corey Fuller would come back. Terrell Buckley would come back, work out in the summer. Randy Moss is out there running routes against them and plucking balls out of the air in one-on-one situations with ease. So we would plug him in sometimes, and I'd, I'm watching all this unfold, and I'm thinking – this guy has to sit out a year. Like, hold on a second. And Mark Rick was our offensive coordinator. I'm like, Hey Mark. He's like, I know. He's like, <laughs> that's all he said was I know. And I'm like, man, like, can we use them? So we started putting them with the first team offense, which was already pretty good. I mean, we had a pretty good 94 season. We come into 95. We had work done in the backfield. Mm-hmm. We had EG green as a receiver. We had Andre Cooper. So we had a pretty good core of receivers, but at times in practice, to be like, hey, let's, let's put him in. So he'd come over, and it was exactly what you saw throughout his entire career from day one. We, and whether it was Dante Culpepper just throwing the ball up for grabs, essentially, was basically what I was doing. We had a play called 344 Cadillac, where there's a, a tight end drag, there's a deep in cut by the X, and the Z runs a post over the top. Now you're technically you're supposed to read the deep safety. If he jumps the post or jumps the in cut, then you throw it over the top. We got to the point where Mark Rick's like, just throw it to Randy. Like, who cares? <laughs> so the safety's like eight miles deep. He's waiting there, and I just chuck it as hard as I can, and he just goes over his his DB over the safety, pulls it down, and goes in. So not only is he doing this against, and this is ones on ones against the first team Florida State defense. Then he's over there on the scout team with some, you know, walk on quarterback who barely played high school football and is throwing up these floaters to him. He's going climbing over the defense, taking them away from him. He's returning punts on the scout team against the first team cover team, returning them for touchdowns. So all the while, I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, <laughs> and we've got this guy. And he looks all world like, 
maybe I should go talk to coach Bowden and just kind of get a feel for where we are. So I go to him in training camp. I'm like, coach, I'm like, what's the deal with, you know, Randy, like, can we get him out there? And he's like, no, he's like, you know, we, we got to send him a year. So I'm like, all right. So then we go, we have a few games and still same thing every time. And normally somebody who's redshirting does not get reps with the first team. That just doesn't happen. But Randy's Randy Moss. And so every time we'd have fun, like, it was like, Hey, let's see what we can do. Same thing. Throw it deep. He'd go get it almost every single time he'd come down with the ball. So after four games, I'd go in, I'd say to coach Bowden, he usually had an open door policy, be like, Hey coach, how you doing? <laughs> how are we doing? You know, with Randy. So eventually about halfway through the season, cause I kept proposing, Hey, what about a one game suspension? What about a four game suspension? What about a half year suspension? So when about halfway through the season, I went into coach Bowden's office and he goes, look, he goes, now, Danny, let me show you something. I can't do a Bobby Bowden impression, but you can picture the Bobby Bowden, good old, bad. charmed. Not bad. He pulls me inside and he goes, all right, let me show you something. And so he pulls out like the stack of letters that he had. And they were basically complaints of people that had protested him allowing Randy Moss in. And they were some Florida State fans, some national articles that were written. Like he had a stack of, of stuff that was all kind of criticizing him for taking Randy Moss. He's like, I would love to, you know, he's like, I would love to. He's like, I can see it. I see the talent. He's like, it'd be unbelievable. He's like, I just can't. He's like, I'm a man of my word. I had to suspend him. He has to learn his lesson. So, you know, tough luck. So Randy Moss, and I still, to this question, I get asked, who was the best receiver you ever threw to? And I threw some really good ones. Threw to Shannon Sharp in Denver. Um, threw to uh, Jerry Rice. Now, this is 40-year-old Jerry Rice. <laughs> the end of his career, he came back with the Broncos. To this day, I still say Randy Moss was hands down the best wide receiver we ever had. And there is zero question in my mind, if Randy Moss wasn't redshirted, we would have won another national championship at Florida State. Zero question. We scored 70 points three times that year. We would have scored 70 points six times that year. Okay. We scored 70 against Duke. We scored 77 against NC State. We scored 72 against Wake Forest. We won. We beat Miami 41 to 17. We would have put 70 on Miami if we would have wanted to with Randy. He was that unstoppable. We had two losses that year. The game we lost to Virginia was a Thursday night, uh, you know, number one in the country. Virginia was top 25. They caught us by surprise a little bit. We lost by five. It was the, it was the game. It was the game. The game at the game at the end of the game. Worked on, took the direct snaps, went in there. We threw three jump balls prior to that to Andre Cooper. And this is not a knock against Ron Andre Cooper because he was awesome. I threw 15 touchdowns to him and they were all jump balls. If I had him and Randy Moss, like it would have been over. Game over. There was no one that would have stopped us incredible talent. I mean, it was the most talented player I've ever been on a field with so, by far. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to say at different points in the season, like at, you know, 70 to 26 against Duke, you're probably like, yeah, you know, we're pretty good. Like 45, 26 against Clemson. We're doing okay. 77, 17. You mentioned that NC state boy, y'all put it on tobacco road that year. 46 to 14 against UCF, 41 to 17 against Miami, 72 to 13. I mean, there's no panic signs, but you just knew what, what could have been? Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And might've been a tad selfish too. Like, Hey, this could really bump up my numbers, which were already really good. The week before the Miami game was when I thought we'd need them. And we didn't like with Miami was kind of in a down year. They did have Ray Lewis, but we still beat them, but it was kind of a, this is going to be the piece that we need to get us a national championship, which we had won in 93, two years before this was my senior year. And 
just Coach Bowden wouldn't budge. And like we, after we lost to Virginia, kind of took a lot of wind out of the sails. We bounced back with an ugly game in the rain against North Carolina. And uh, when we ended up losing to Florida in the final game of the year in Gainesville, uh, you know, I think by 11. So it was, but that game, we would have won. We would have won in Gainesville and we would have won with Randy Moss. It's insane how talented we were across the board that Randy Moss, Walter Jones, and Peter Warwick all sitting on the bench my senior year. Brutal. Not that I'm bitter about not winning the Heisman Trophy yeah, or anything, y'all, but y'all, y'all still went ten and two. Like it was still, yeah, yeah, no. yeah. yeah. But at Florida State, that's that's like going to get you on the hot seat. Like you're getting bent, you're getting booed coming off the field if you will go ten and two. Mm. But now they would take ten and two. Yeah, it a hundred percent. The most, the most, uh, not not even just the ten and two part. Like just going through that whole story, the most unbelievable part when comparing, like that Florida state team to what we're seeing now is that, Oh, we could, we were able to redshirt Walter Jones because our offensive line was really good. Right. Like Florida state. Wait, what? I don't remember the last time we could say that about Florida state. They had a really good offensive line once. We haven't been able to say that in a half decade. Like the, like they had an awesome <laughs> offensive line in 13 and like a, the leftover pieces for 14. That The championship offensive line was awesome. But from like 16 on, I don't know when we've been able to say that Florida state's had a good offensive line. What might have been crazier than what Randy Moss did on the practice field at Florida State was what he did in intramural hoops. Oh, yeah. Because almost every basketball, every football player had played on some intramural, uh, intramural hoops team. And you always play these fraternities and they think they were good because they played some high school ball and they'd be like practicing three times a week to try to win the intramural championship. And Randy would show up there like maybe middle of the first quarter, sometimes late to the game, shoes untied. And he would go in and just light people up I saw him essentially do a foul line dunk. Like it was probably a foot inside the free throw line, but jumped from the free throw line and threw it down. And like when he came in, even the fraternity dudes who always thought they could beat the football team players were like, they were like, oh, okay, like we're done. We have no <laughs> chance here. Like couldn't do it. Hey, check it up there, dog. Like, <laughs> all right, let's, uh, that's, uh, that's very good stuff. Thanks for getting us rocking here. All right. This question comes from hottie toddy go Rebs. Interestingly enough. Hey guys, I'm an Ole Miss fan. Hence the username, but I also root for UCLA. This is, we, his username should be unicorn because he's an Ole yeah, Miss fan <laughs> that roots for UCLA. Is Chip building something in Westwood? I know they went three and four this year, but they very well could have been six and one or seven and zero oh if not for bad mistakes. I also saw that UCLA just got a commit from a four-star tight end from Florida. Do y'all think that UCLA could rise up in the CFB landscape? Hotty toddy and go Bruins. I mean, it's it's one of those questions I feel like it's had the same answer for a very long time. It's you think that the potential's there because obviously UCLA, it's got a history. It plays in the Rose Bowl. And you would think that in the Pac twelve South where USC has been dormant, I feel like if there was a time when UCLA was going to kind of establish itself, it probably should have been in the last ten years when USC was really saying here take it so i can't sit and say that based off what i've seen from chip kelly last in his first few years and then the way that he's recruiting that i'm all that confident about it because yeah they did land a four-star but overall the recruiting has not 
been great. It hasn't been to the level it was under Jim Mora even. And Jim Mora was able to recruit well. It was everything after that that really wasn't working out for the Bruins. So I think that the potential is always there. If you're a Power 5 program in a major market like that, yes. If if you decide that you want to be a football powerhouse, I think the potential is there. It's just... I, I think UCLA is taking steps towards that. I think hiring Chip Kelly was a statement of intent. I think that we've talked about and joked about the million-dollar meal table many times. Yes. I think that's a statement of intent. So I think that there are steps being taken to get to that level. It's just getting there is still very difficult to do. So I think it's possible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'd bet on it happening, though. Is it... Fair to put Chip Kelly on a hot seat? I don't think I so. I don't think hot seat, but I think it's a ma- I think it's an important year for him. Uh, and I do think that there have been signs to be optimistic about this season. Uh, who else outside of USC and Oregon has been crushing it in recruiting in the Pac-12? Arizona State, maybe a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like so that's where I think the recruiting, yes, it matters. Like, I don't think UCLA is going to knock off Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, or Oklahoma, but in a fairly wide open Pac-12 with a USC team that's been very inconsistent, they should win, you know, they should win their division. Like in a one-game scenario in which UCLA has, you know, made inroads and played a little bit tougher with them, like, why not? You know, why couldn't they? I mean, they lost, they lost 43-38 this last year, like, they're both going to get better. UCLA is going to get better. So I think you look at this the results from this last season, a very weird season, and you take some stuff away from it. You say, hey, this should be a this should be a stepping stone year for Chip Kelly. I think it's just a matter of how far it goes. But if it's not, then I think it's time to start asking some really hard questions at UCLA. I don't think, I think oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, if you look at their schedule for this year, it's brutal. Like they in, in non-con, they're opening with Hawaii, but then they get LSU. And then they get Fresno State, which, you know, is always pretty decent Mount Westing. But when you get into conference play, obviously they have all their division games. They've got Arizona State at home and they've got uh, Utah on the road. They've got USC on the road. From the north, they get Stanford on the road, Washington on the road, and Oregon. And I don't and I don't know, like if I'm looking at FBSschedules.com. I don't know if this is the conference schedule will be in this order, although it looks like it will be. There aren't any dates yet, but their final three games are on the road. USC, Utah, Washington. That's how they're finishing the year. Well, so, there, there's nowhere to hide in the Pac-12 because you've got 12 teams and a nine-game schedule, so you're going to be playing four out of the six cross-division teams every single year, but that even still... Like the, that's the California brutal. schools all want to keep playing each other every year. So it's like, yeah. So I don't think, mm, I don't think that they can do better than Chip Kelly right now. And I do think that expectations should be adjusted because this is a program that has not won a conference championship since the turn of the century and has not had an established run of success since Terry Donahue was the head coach. And You've got to go all the way back to so they Jim Mora got to no, Rick Neuheisel got to the Pac-12 championship game in 2011. They lost to Oregon by 18. Jim Mora got to the Pac-12 championship game in 2012. They lost to Stanford by three. So they have played in the two division era for the Pac-12 championship twice. But in terms of winning a championship, 
They have not done it since back-to-back Bob Toledo uh, Pac-10 championships back in 1997 and 1998, which is to say that entire uh, entire lifespans of UCLA players have taken place without UCLA being a conference champion. And at that point, you have to start to be like, okay, you are, are we leaning back into yesteryear? And I'm sorry that I always bring this up, Minnesota fans, but like you've got national championships from the 30s or something like that. So yes, you have national championships. Wisconsin doesn't. I get you can always hold that over them. But uh, I think that when the players on the roster, when the expectation, the program that they were recruited to, you're trying to reach something that hasn't been done. And so if you adjust your expectations not to, we have to get on, on ahead of USC, we have to be winning uh, Pac-12 championships, and you start to look more at the big picture, I think that Chip Kelly would be comfortable setting up and being a head coach for seven, eight years, and that he might have a more long-term approach. And if you let him cook, then he probably leaves that program in a healthier position at the end of the run, even if he's not able to deliver on a, on a Pac-12 championship. And I think something else we need to ask is – as much as I love to look at them and as beautiful as I think they are, UCLA faces the same kind of problem that North Carolina does. And it's, can you be a good football team while wearing that shade of blue? Is anybody ever going to be scared of you or take you seriously or respect you? So I think that's the question that we really need to figure out. I'm going to put you in front of uh, the Citadel cadets and let you tell them that they're soft because of their little baby blue uh, uniforms. But, uh, I I understand what you say. I'm just saying the the color really goes well with the uh, the button down as I overdress for the football game and spill my drink all over myself by the end of the third quarter. It goes it just really really goes well with everything. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, this next question comes from. Don't worry about it. What can Oklahoma do to stall the prophesied titan of Texas being back? Sark is making some alarming moves, almost like he might be the one to create stability in the Longhorn program. Is this more like Hercules defeating Hades in the Disney cartoon, or does it look like Thor trying to prevent Ragnarok? Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Um, in that you can only postpone it. Maybe Texas will secede <laughs> from the United <laughs> States and it will be more advantageous for recruits to cross the Red River on student visas to compete for championships and later join the NFL. Uh, thanks. Love the show. Sounds like we've got an Oklahoma fan with Disney and Marvel passions and uh, wants to make sure that Sark doesn't disrupt the uh, Oklahoma's dominance in the Big 12. What do we think? First of all, I just want to make it clear that I don't know Ragnarok from watching Marvel movies. I know it from actual Norse mythology. All right, so you nerds. I don't watch those comic book movies, <laughs> you nerds. But <clears throat> I think that, I mean, I don't think you need to worry if you're an Oklahoma fan just yet. I think that what you need to do is keep doing what you've been doing because it's clearly working pretty well for you. And maybe Sark is the guy that fixes Texas football. Maybe this is what they needed to do. It's just, we've seen this before with Texas. Like when they hired Charlie strong, there was positive momentum at the start. When they hired Tom Herman, there was positive momentum at the start. Anytime Texas hires a new coach, there's going to be positive momentum. It's freaking Texas. 
what's going to come down is whether they're going to be able to turn, keep it going and turn it into wins. So, and still until Texas is out on the field, really, you know, not just beating me because, you know, they, they do beat Oklahoma from time to time, even during their down years, because they're still a talented team. But until I see them doing it on a consistent weekly basis where they're a legitimate big 12 title contender, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I'm not all that worried about it until they give me reason to be worried. And I don't think anything you've seen yet is reason to be worried. And Texas fans don't take that as me saying that I don't think that it's going to happen because it very well could. I'm just saying you shouldn't be too excited about it yet either. This is a rare Oklahoma Oklahoma fan, don't you think? You think many of them are worried about Texas? Like they shouldn't be. He hasn't won six Big 12 conference championships in a row. Um, you guys have the ball rolling. You've been to the playoffs. Like, I'd be more worried about how do we win the next game? How do we win a playoff game as opposed to what's happening with Texas? I mean, Texas has been a bit of a dumpster fire. Um, you know, post-Mac Brown, end of Mac Brown, you know, up till now. And I'm bullish. I like Texas. I like the Sark hire. But I'm totally agreeing with Tom. You got you to gotta do it first. Um and I think they're making the necessary adjustments. Tom's referenced on here a bunch of times how the Oklahoma defense was actually much better last year than maybe perceived. What was it, top 15 in a lot of the uh, analytical categories? Um, some of the deeper dive defensive categories. Mm-hmm. Man, they're addressing some of the issues. Big, big Cat Bryant rumors going to Oklahoma, like bolstering up a defensive line. So, I mean, Spencer Rattler's already there. You got more stability at quarterback than you do at Texas. I just, I, I would not be worried about it until it happens. Yeah. You want to make, you don't want to be arrogant and just for, you know, not even think about it, but I think you got things going just the right direction. You need to go. If you're Oklahoma, I think your bigger problem is how do you get past a Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, whatever team you're going to face in the playoff than it is against Texas. Great point. Uh, it is not a promised inevitability. And for this Oklahoma fan, you're right. It might be rare because the other side of the spectrum Oklahoma fan is measuring themselves against the other teams that have multiple college football playoff appearances, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma. That's it. Those are the four. I mean, Notre Dame's been to two, but beyond that, that is the list of teams with uh, multiple college football playoff appearances. I think the Sooners are, are definitely more focused, obviously after this past season on getting back to the playoff and then figuring out a way to be able to take uh, the next step. All right. This next question comes from Wahoo Jordan LL. Hey guys, love the show. Been listening for a few years now. I miss Barton, but I'm glad to see Danny and was a fan of his before his appearance on the show. Uh, Parentheses ACC guys got to stick together. ACC boys. Uh, my question revolves what I perceive as a lack of respect for what Bronco Mendenhall has accomplished at UVA. He's gone from two to six to eight to nine, then to five. Nine wins at Virginia is huge. His recruiting classes have gotten better every year he's been at UVA. The media hypes teams with worse or the same records as UVA since Bronco's arrival. Tom Allen, Pat Narduzzi, and for some reason, Jeff Collins, just to bring up a few coaches who are always hyped up. He's owned UNC, and no one ever mentions it. Why doesn't Bronco get the credit that some of these guys do, and where do you see him taking UVA from here on out? P.S. Tell Danny 
Warwick Dunn didn't cross the plane. <laughs> Full circle, baby. That was, if we had replay, he would have scored. We would have went on. I would have won that Heisman Trophy without <laughs> Randy Moss. Been a first-round pick, and I wouldn't be here with you guys. Having to schlep around <laughs> to pay bills to feed my daughters. <laughs> he was definitely in. I asked him about it. <laughs> Would have would have uh, carried that momentum. We wouldn't have lost to Florida. Yes. Yeah, no all way. The way, no chance. Rand never would have even thought about Randy Moss. Nobody would mm. bitter about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think he's right. I think he's right though on the lack of recognition uh, credit for Bronco Mendenhall and the job he's doing. I mean, this last year again, I'll say it a zillion times. COVID, I give people a pass. I, I just. Five and five, it is what it is. It's a weird year. I give it a pass. I think Bronco is a coach that could be at Virginia for a long time. And I think you would be thrilled to have him at Virginia for a long time. I think he fits. I think he knows how to work with the academic restrictions there. Um, and I, I mean, I think he's right. I don't think they get enough credit for the success that he's had there. And this, unfortunately, I think is where you have to overcome brand perception. And since he brought up the ACC boys comment there, like when Virginia goes nine and five and they win the Coastal in 2019, it's, uh, man, the, the ACC's down. When anybody represents whatever division in the SEC, whether it's Missouri, uh, you know, playing in the SEC East Championships. Oh, what a great year for Missouri. These guys are unbelievable. What a surprise upside season. It, it's just, it's the nature of college football. It's the way we dissect things. They've got to overcome that perception. And I think in order to do so, you have to have like a signature season where you actually win the ACC, a 10-win season, you know, give me some big win. And it'll still take a while to turn that perception around. It's just things are ingrained in college football minds that go, that run really deep. I'm a Bronco stand. I've been a Bronco stand. I, I'm, I, you know, my beloved who's I've, I've talked about Virginia for the last few years since they hired Bronco. When they hired him, I hailed it as a great hire to get him out of BYU and to come to a power five. Cause I felt like Virginia or a school like Virginia was a perfect fit for Bronco Mendenhall and what he's able to do. I loved his teams at BYU. I love his teams at Virginia. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry if I don't say it every episode. <laughs> well, all right. So is it a, uh, is it, it is, is it a basketball school thing? Probably. I think that, that there's a natural reaction for fans of football teams at basketball schools to always feel like their football teams are disrespected, particularly when their f football teams actually start doing well. Because Virginia is the last program to win a national championship in basketball. So they are still the reigning champions. So I could see why there's a, you know, a, some of that might also be within the community, right? You know, that you're always, if when you're fired up about that November uh, tip-off classic while the rest of the college sports uh, world is all dialed in on these conference championship races. There is some cognitive dissonance that happens there, even within the national uh, discussion. I, I, I like Bronco. Um, you know, we talked about him here on the podcast as being somebody that just has done a great job of identifying the kind of player. I mean, the 
I'm sorry for being so cliche, but it just rolls off the tongue. The OKGs, the are kinds of guys, the people who fit the profile of the University of Virginia, where you don't even have to uh, go out of your way to get people into a school that might have a little bit tougher uh, academic restrictions. You are using that as a way to pitch to some players to get them to come because you're able to sell them that and you're able to get the kind of players that want to come and develop and want to be in the program for three or four or five years. And I think that, uh, I don't know, man, they just, they play solid football. So number one was the basketball. Number two was within Bronco ball, which I have at times called Bronco bully ball. Is there a little bit of a lack of a flash because uh, Alameda Zacchaeus was fantastic. He was a good special teams threat a couple years ago, uh, was really exciting. But I, I do think that sometimes it's uh, it's just not going to be up there in the st- – they're not going to be putting quarterbacks and they're not going to be putting skill position players near the top of conference or national stats, right? Mm-hmm. That might be yeah. another part that's like coinciding with this as we all get crazy about touchdowns and yards and stuff like that. Yeah, they play the complimentary football. Mm-hmm. I see you. Uh, all right, Tom. Before we get out of here, you've got some. You've you've got some breaking news. Yeah, uh, the Big Ten's got a new rivalry trophy. This is Adam the seventeenth rivalry trophy. Mm-hmm. I actually think that's true. Reported Thursday morning. There's a new Big Ten rivalry trophy. It's between Michigan and Northwestern, who will now be playing for the George Jewett Trophy, honoring the first black football player in the Big Ten's history, and he played for both teams. So I think that's great. I think there's still room for one more rivalry trophy, though, <laughs> Big Ten. I think we need to get that walleye trophy. I mean, Northwestern and Michigan, it's great that they have this trophy, but they don't play every year, and it's not really a rivalry, considering I think Michigan's won 95% of the games between them. Wisconsin and Illinois, division rivals, play every season. A little bit closer in the history, the walleye trophy. Come on, Big Ten. Let's keep this trophy momentum going. So the walleye bass, we could get him mounted, and it could be a talking fish, right? We could sing Take Me to the River <laughs> on the, the, the walleye bass trophy. Or it turns. Yeah. <laughs> one that you mount on the wall that turns the yeah, sing. Yeah, with the motion that is sensor. insulting, sir. <laughs> you insult the honor and tradition of the walleye trophy. Billy Billy the walleye bass. Billy Big Mouth Bass. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. no. Mm-mm. It's Wally the walleye bass, and he sings it different song i don't know what he sings yet though we'll work on that walleye bass big 10 call us we've got all your good branding ideas for the new rivalry trophies and heck maybe in a future mailbag we'll just go ahead and come up with the trophies for all of the rest of the potential big 10 matchups good there's a show yeah there's a whole show good content (laughs) ideas uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Go and follow us on Spotify. Help us meet our goals. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.